Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 24th episode of the Overline Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis Martin, and on this week's episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Justin Levine from Puck Authority and OTL writer Ilyas Hussein to talk about the 2021 World Juniors. How's it going, guys? Doing pretty well. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good as well. And I guess we'll just jump right into it this week. You know, it's very exciting. Only five days left till the start of the 2021 World Juniors. Obviously, you know, this year, a lot of craziness has happened, but it seems that as of right now, the tournament will be happening. So I think the best way to start off is, who do you guys think is the favorite to win the whole tournament this year? Um, great question. Look, the United States is strong. Canada is strong. Um, Germany, despite their troubles, is strong. Um, there's honestly it's anyone's game but um i'm in a non-biased way i am going to go team canada oh uh to me i don't know how you cannot go with team canada i mean you look at their forward core it's extremely deep from top to bottom they've got guys that played in the nhl last year with kirby dock and thomas harley uh they have guys that probably would have had a great chance to make the nhl teams this year with dylan cousins and bowen byram you know they you look at their forward core, they're incredibly stacked from top to bottom. You got Quinn Byfield, who was the second overall pick in this year's past draft, and he's currently slotted in on the fourth line. Um, and not to say that, like, you know, just because you're on the fourth line, you're subject to X amount of minutes, but it just shows how deep they are because he is on that line with Phil Tomasino, who had 100 points in 62 OHL games last year. You just see how deep this team is from top to bottom, defensively and offensively. I mean, only two players, which is Jorian Spence and Caden Korzak, are the only two players on this roster that weren't a first-round draft pick. The only hole that you can say for Team Canada right now is their goaltending because you don't know who their definite starter is coming into the tournament like it was last year with Dawes, Hofer, and Rodrigue. Now you've got Dylan Guerin, Taylor Gauthier, and Devin Levi. You don't know who their number one goalie is right now, but who knows what can happen. And to me, their forward core and defensive core, it's so stacked that their goaltending issues at the beginning of the tournament probably is not going to be like play that big of a deal, uh, so to say. So you got to go with Team Canada. Here's something I really like about Canada's offense. I'll just add this quickly. is the fact that you look at selection camp, which I was privileged to cover for Hockey Canada this year. And something I that really stood out that I noticed was the chemistry between Connor Zari, Philip Tomasino, and Kirby Dock in the way that that stood out. Um, and, you know, they were just, they clicked so well. And dude, no matter where they were, they made an impact. And then along with Bone Byron from the back end, it just, I can't help but say Canada's got this in the bag. It's just a matter of uh, if they start strong, they've got this. Yeah, I think the um, interesting thing that you look at when you look at the way that Canada has decided to construct the roster over the last couple of World Juniors is that it's very center-heavy. And I think that plays into the strength of, you know, the programs that they've developed a lot of strong centers over their history and especially over the last couple of years. So, like, when you look at this roster, almost every person on this team with a couple exceptions, like Cole Perfetti, even he's actually played center. But for the most part, everyone has played center at some point. So it kind of gives them that uh, flexibility that a lot of other teams don't have where you have like set wingers, set centers. So even if, you know, they run into some tough teams like, you know, Team USA, Team R- Russia, you know, they have that flexibility where they can kind of adapt to the team that they're going to be playing. And 
like Elias said, I think the only reason that they don't win this tournament is goaltending. I think if you look at the other two top contenders, I would say, are the U.S. and Russians. If you look at them, they both have two very highly touted goaltenders in Spencer Knight, who played at this tournament last year, and Askarov, who also played at the tournament last year for Russia. I mean, Spencer Knight had a great tournament for the most part. You know, maybe he was a little bit shaky in that quarterfinal game against Finland, but he only allowed two goals in, in that game. So you can't really fault him for that. And Askarov, again, was kind of shaky in that round, but they're both really good goaltenders. So I think what it's going to come down to is whether Team Canada can figure out those two goalies in the final round and whether Team Canada's goaltenders can hold them in those games. Right. When you talk about the goaltenders, another thing I'll mention is Devin Levi, when he came in, he from the NCAA player quarantine. He only made one start. Wow, did he make the most of it? I believe it was a 31-save shutout on an inter-squad game after two days of skating in the main group. And it was enough to kick Tristan Lennox home um, after he had had about a week and a half or so. Uh, I mean, again, that's with the quarantine involved. Um, otherwise, he would have had two weeks and I would have been really interested to see how that would have played out. Um, so. I mean, I don't know if Devin Levi is established enough. I'm, again, really interested to see how they handled the uh, one and two. Um, but, again, there is some strong gold tank. It's just a matter of what Torini uh, sees, you know, as best fit. You mentioned Team Russia uh, earlier, right? And to me, Russia is the second best team in this tournament off paper because you look at their uh extensive young core yes they're young but they're crazy talented you have rodian amarov who was selected 15th overall by the toronto maple Leafs this past draft you got mikhail abramov who is another toronto maple Leafs prospect um they are going to probably lead the way offensively for team russia and then you have their decor yes they're young but they're talented you got shakir Mukm. Mook Maludin, who was uh, selected by the New Jersey Devils this year, um, he is probably going to be their one of their top defensemen this tournament, but he also is young. He's like 18 years old. He has some flaws in his game, but he is uh, talented in his own zone as well as offensively. They got the strong goal, uh, goaltender in Askarov. You know, to me, they have Igor uh uh, Kimatov, who was selected by the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets off the board. I mean, Sam Constantino and uh, Mike Fuda had no idea who he was when he was drafted, you know, which kind of sucks for him. But he he uh, has shown that he was worthy of that draft pick with his play in the KHL this year. So to me, Russia, along with uh, Canada, are the top two teams that are probably going to go far in this tournament to me. And I think we might see a repeat of last year's gold medal game this year. Yeah, I think you bringing up Russia, I think, you know, another interesting point, like you brought up the depth on defense. I think it says a lot of, sorry, this is going back to, you know, I'm a Guelph guy, so I've watched a lot of Guelph Storm games, and Daniel Chaika making this team as a 17-year-old is a really interesting thing, because I think if anyone has watched the Russians over the course of their world junior watching days, that they don't take a lot of 17-year-olds. It's very rare that they take younger guys, but I think I think Daniel Chaika could have a bigger impact in this tournament than most people think. You know, he's a great skater, has great puck skills. He's always been able to put up points in the OHL with the Guelph Storm on some pretty good teams. So I think that'll be another player I'm kind of interested to see with the Russians and see how they do. I think he'll be a big uh, part of also playing against these top teams because, 
like you're you're gonna have to have better than one good decor uh decor like or sorry d line to stop like team canada and team usa from scoring so i think it'll be interesting to see how the youngster does in this tournament but i i think also maybe moving more to the u.s because uh if anyone follows me on twitter i actually have the u.s playing uh canada in the finals as my uh, early predictions for the the tournament i think when you just look at that team there's a lot of um experience on that team like they had over eight players come back from last year's tournament and uh you know they have both i think this is the first time i've seen this but both goalies have come back from last year like i've already mentioned spencer knight but also dustin wolf a calgary flames prospect who's played in the who over the last couple seasons with everett a really good goaltender i think you know it'll be interesting i think that the thing about the u.s is that maybe a couple of the names aren't flashy, but I feel like they're a very deep team and they're a very old team. And I think in this tournament, uh, we see in the past, especially with some of the Russian teams, that that experience uh, playing in the World Juniors means everything, especially in those big games. So I don't know. I, I, I see uh, the U.S. also being a very big uh, contender this year. I could see that. And you look at some of the strongest players, and I'll put one out there, Sanders prospect Jake Sanderson. Um, that's just one of a couple right off the top of my head. And I just there's so much talent there. So again, it's truly anyone's game uh, to put up a battle. But um, I stick with Team Canada. And then I think the more interesting uh, decision is obviously, you know, Sweden, Canada, Russia, US are always in that conversation for the gold medal. But then when you look at the other half of the tournament, there's always, I find that Cinderella story, that team that kind of pulls away and does more than expected. And maybe it's unfair to put Finland in that category because they have been meddling over the last couple of years. But who do you guys think is kind of your underdog going to the tournament? Someone that could really surprise everyone. To me, I'm going to, it's not really an underdog usually every tournament, but I'll say it's underdog for this tournament specifically because of the adversity they faced before the tournament itself, and that's Team Sweden. You see, Sweden, to me, right away, every year, they're contending 52-0 and in the round robin since 2006. They're contending for that gold medal every year. But this year is a different year um, for them because of all the COVID-19 tests that they have had. Like, they had to cancel all the exhibition games because of COVID positive tests. They they lost their head coach. They lost four of their players who were probably locked to make the roster. Their team has taken a big hit. Like Justin said earlier, uh, they, their team doctor led their led their um, uh, their uh, practice the other day. And you see, like, they're not in the best shape to start out the tournament. People are doubting them, saying that they might lose their undefeated streak in the round robin. But I think with Hugo Almafelt, who is going to be their number one goalie this year, without a doubt, he's going to, I think, lock it down for Sweden. Uh, I think they have an actual great chance of actually going far, even with all the adversity that they face without the year. So they're not usually an underdog every year, I'll say that. But for this year specifically, and with the circumstances surrounding the tournament, you have to, uh, to me, I have to give it to Sweden. And here's the thing about Sweden. Again, you mentioned their head coach. Their head coach, who is supposed to lead them, uh, but was infected with COVID during selection camp, he didn't even make a trip out to Edmonton. So they had to get a whole new head coach. And that head coach has to learn the chemistry, has to figure out this team, has to figure out what he likes and doesn't like very quickly. And again, huge challenge. Now, um, Germany only lost three players if I stand correct on that but when you look at Sweden's troubles 
I can't help but say that they're going to overcome this and they're going to do something incredible. And Sweden is, uh, you know, a widespread favorite if you're talking to a, a large group of World Juniors fans. So, um, yeah, I could see uh, Sweden somehow make, uh, you know, make the best of this and come out um, maybe semifinals, something like that at the very most. Um, I mean, Canada versus Sweden in the final would be fun. I just... Again, based on the losses, I don't know that I'd see it, but it would, I mean, it would certainly be enjoyable and uh, really remarkable given the circumstances to be seeing that. Yeah, I just think that whole division is super deep. I think, you know, you see it every year that one of these divisions is uh, stronger than the other. And look at Pool B, you know, uh, Sweden's not going to have any breaks. I mean, Austria might be that one break for them, but, you know, they're going to be playing the US and they're going to be playing. Russia and those are going to be easy games for them right off the bat in the round robin and you know just looking at that division um, that whole division it's going to be like a tough battle to even make it out of the round robin I'm sure they will because as everyone knows the way the format runs only one team doesn't make it from each conference but you know and like also the Czech Republic I think the Czechs are always a underrated team you know they've always been able to put up a fight you know with the orange program the Czech Republic they've always had a good team game so I don't think it's easy sledding for the Swedes but if I'm looking to my personal dark horse I think uh, Justin already mentioned them uh, Germany is my dark horse I think you know a lot of people had high hopes for them before um, um, oh, I'm blanking Ward's uh, cider de declined to come to the tournament I think you know a lot of people thought that that those uh great uh, forwards in uh, Tim Schultz uh, and uh, John Jason Pedereka. Pedereka, I could be mispronouncing that. Uh, I think both those guys are going to be guys to watch in this tournament. You know, I think the Buffalo uh, Sabres got a really good steal with uh, Pedereka in the second round. And, you know, I like when you look at that division, that A division, I think that they could make some noise, you know, obviously – Finland and Canada are probably the two teams you look at those in that division to lead. But I think, you know, they have a good fighting chance against Slovakia and Switzerland to really make some noise and, you know, score a couple goals, maybe get a couple big saves by some of their goaltenders. And uh, yeah, and I mean, they've also had a lot of guys on this team that have a previous CHL experience. So they played the North American game before uh, guys like Samuel Dubay. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens uh, moving forward, but I think that they're my underdog for this tournament. And Germany also lost Lucas Reichel, who is um, certainly a talent himself. And so um, as unfortunate as that is, they do have Paterka, they do have Tim Stutzel, uh, who did make the trip out to Edmonton. Uh, so it's not like they're without talent. So, uh, you know, in a sense, I could side with you, but yes, Mort Sider was certainly a hit to Germany not getting him into the tournament this year. So nice, Aperti from the Athletic on several occasions has spoke very highly of him as it uh, pertains to the NHL draft. So, you know, it was for me imagining what damage he could do joining them. So yes, it's unfortunate. And yes, Lucas Reichel not being with them hurts, but um, they're not without talent. They're not without strength. Um, so I could see them as a potential underdog. Yeah, I'm, I'm really high on Germany as well. I think they have an incredible shot of making it out of the Group A. The, the Group A is is weak with Slovakia, Switzerland, and uh, Germany at the bottom right there. Uh, but to me, right away, I look at Germany on paper, they suffered two big losses off the bat with no Mo Sider and no Lukas Reichel. And that, to me, is like it's, it's going to hinder them a lot. And I think it's 
uh, understated how much it actually will uh, hamper their play. Uh, I think in the end, they will still make it out of groups, but I don't think they will beat anybody uh, out of the top three from the other group. Because, you know, it's the, the format is second place faces third place, right? And if Germany makes it a third place and Finland and Canada are top two, they're going to have to face either USA, Russia, or Sweden. So as much as I love Germany, as much as I want them to make it far, I love Cinderella stories more than anything in sports. But with the, their group and with their losses, with no cider, no Reichel, uh, I just don't see them making it that far. But I, I do think they they might like pull off something, but I, I am high on them, but I don't think they're going to make it uh, like quite far, as other people put it. And again, we have to remember the reality in sports is that, you know, not everything we want to happen happens. And that's just, you know, common knowledge. And so, you know, again, um, they've been hit a little bit and they don't have a full roster full of talent. They've got a few players here and there. And, you know, quite frankly, it's not enough to drive them. Whereas you look at other rosters like Ken in the U.S. full of talent top to bottom. So, um, again, it's as wonderful as it would be to see i'm with you i don't think it's going to happen they could be a potential underdog but um you know they're not mine i've got sweden so yeah i also would like to put like tim stutzler is coming off of fresh off of injury as well like he had a hand surgery a few months ago which uh to me like right away coming off an injury a player's not going to be the same as he once was you know we've seen that commonly in the nhl and any type of player any sport a player gets injury they come back it's going to take a while for them to adjust to the game you know he's going to probably be a little bit cautious more of his player on his hand um and you know we might not see the tim stutzla that we all expected to see for months and months on end that warranted him the third overall pick in this year's draft so that as well is also going to be a little bit of a hindrance to the play because they might not get that Tim Stutzla that they wanted. Absolutely. There are a lot of challenges um, when you look at a player like that. And especially when you look at, you know, the extent of which his injury was, you have to remember that, you know, for example, surgery can do a lot to a player and hinder their performance. Um, sometimes players don't bounce back as well. So there are a lot of impacts. So again, Germany, not my favorite. Yeah, I think another team that uh, I could really just want to talk about is uh, obviously, you know, we've talked about the the big four in my opinion, which is Sweden, Russia, uh, Canada, and uh, obviously the U.S. But I think, you know, Finland's always been uh, one of those teams that's consistently been there. And uh, this year, again, they, they have a good goalie in uh, Joel Bonquist, who was just drafted by the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins in this last year's draft early in the uh, second round. So I kind of would look to him as being a guy that could maybe steal some games for them in this tournament. Like always, I think this tournament's really big on uh, who your goalie is and if your goalie can uh, help you out. And then obviously, you know, the Fens have always been great on uh, defense with uh, Billy Hayola and uh, Emily Virio are two guys I'm really high on. I'm sorry, I'm butchering their names. But, uh, you know, I think they're another team to obviously uh, look for. And I think it'll obviously be interesting to see what they do. And then obviously uh, Antoine Lundell and the... Uh, on the forward core, like they got good pieces all around. So I think they're also a team that, you know, could make an upset in the quarterfinals and move on to that semifinals. Lundell is a key driver, someone who could certainly uh, do that damage for them. So um, something to look up for there. I wasn't really thinking much of them, but um, again, with talent like that, it's a possibility. I think Finland is probably poised to make a deeper run than people expect this year. Uh, to me, right off the bat, uh, their goaltending is probably their one-two punch is 
one of the strongest at the tournament right off the bat. I'll say that because you got Joel Blom- Blomquist, who's probably going to be the number one drafted by the Penguins this year. Uh, he is only 18 years old, but he has a 908 save percentage uh, with Hermes uh, in the La Liga, I'm pretty sure. And then their backup position is probably going to be Kari Peronin, who played in last year's tournament w- with uh, Team Finland. He was the backup to Yusuf Anunim. Uh, he has a 924 uh, save percentage this year. So he's putting up crazy numbers as well as uh, Blomquist. So they're one-two punch. Like they might, you know, if Blomquist struggles, they have Peronin. Whereas other teams, you know, if Team Canada, if like Devin Levi or Taylor Grotje, Dylan Guerin, they don't step up, who are they going to fall to? It's They have a definite one-two punch that I think will threaten a lot of teams here at this tournament. Yeah, I think, you know, we've been talking obviously a lot about, you know, the teams and obviously the big players on every team. But I think one of the great things about this tournament and uh, the World Juniors is obviously, you know, the prospects that go into the tournament. And, you know, a lot of people don't know about them, but they really make a name for themselves. Uh, Who do you guys think is like a prospect uh, that, you know, maybe not everyone knows or isn't a household name that you are really looking forward to see in uh, this tournament? Uh. We just talked about Team Finland. I'm going to bring up a player from Team Finland, Brad Lambert. A lot of people don't know who he is. He's a 16-year-old phenom, just turned 17 yesterday. So he hasn't even played 17. Uh, he hasn't even played a game in the La Liga as a 17-year-old. But he has seven points in 18 games as a 16-year-old in the La Liga. He is a 22-draft-eligible player. A lot of people don't know about him. And with, in my opinion, Finland probably making the semifinals this year or making it farther than people expect, um, I think uh, Lambert is going to play a big role in that and he's going to catch a lot of eyes towards him. I mean, you look at past 16- or 16, 17-year-old players uh, that have been in the tournament and that were a year away from their draft-eligible year, uh, like you look at Austin Matthews and, the, uh, and like Connor McDavid and all those players, they haven't had like a great tournament right away. But as the tournament develops, you see them develop as the tournament goes on and you see them become a better player. And I think that we're going to see that with Lambert, especially uh, with his weaker group. Uh, I feel like he might feast on a couple of teams here. And when Canada or when uh, Finland makes it to the quarters, probably uh, – he's going to get a lot of shine towards him. So I'm going to have to go with Brad Lambert. I think I'll side with you there. Brad Lambert is a highly touted player. He is someone who uh, brings a lot of talent of his own. And with that could also, uh, there's potential and talk for that matter of him kind of facing a leadership role of sorts. So um, I think it will present him an opportunity. I think it will present Finland an opportunity to um, move forward um, and for that matter, move far into the tournament. So um, so I am as well that I'm excited to look out for um, as this tournament progresses once it gets going on Christmas day. Yeah, I think, you know, I already uh, mentioned him, but uh, I think uh, Daniel Chaika for Russia is my guy. I think, you know, a lot of, he has been ranked high on the uh, the early draft ranking board so far for this year, but I still think a lot of people haven't really looked at him because, um, you know, the Guelph Storm, while they have been good over the last couple of years in the OHL, you know, aren't one of those big market teams. So you're not seeing the uh, the coverage that a normal team like uh, London or Kitchener maybe has in the OHL. I think a lot of people are sleeping on him and, you know, I, I think he possibly could be a top 10 pick in this year's draft. Like I said, earlier you know the skill speed he has great size for a defenseman as well you know 
kind of that stereotypical uh, Russian defenseman, you know, who can really play the puck, can use the body. And uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how he does in this tournament because, you know, the one position where you can't really stick someone, you know, in the bottom six, you know, hide them like you can't afford where you can't do that as a defenseman. So they're kind of just throwing him into the fire in one of the biggest, arguably one of the biggest tournaments in hockey and uh, seeing how he can do. And I think he'll do fine. So that's the guy that I'm really uh, looking forward to in this tournament. And one of my uh, scouts at the Puck 30, Joseph Stanislaw, actually spoke very highly of Chaikov on several occasions, pegging him as a player to look out for. So um, to that end, I certainly wouldn't doubt your thinking there. And he is someone that, as a result, I will be keeping my eye on. Um, I think that he's very talented with the Guelph Storm. Um, you know, he's only played in so many games, which is uh, part of the, you know, wanting to see more through this tournament. So uh, someone I'm definitely excited to get a better look at. Yeah, the thing is with Chaika off the bat is that the potential is there. It's just a question is if can he reach it and is he developing as of yet? He hasn't played in a long time, to be fair. Um, he, he, like he've only played, what, 15 games this year? Not a lot, really, compared to all other players. But he – it depends on if he can – if he's on the right track in terms of his development and if he's there right now, I would say he isn't. But he has a lot of potential to be there and reach that ceiling that a lot of people tell him as. Yeah, I think you also bring up a good point about games played. I think, you know, when you look at a lot of this Team Canada, like a lot of them haven't played games this year outside of these uh, exhibition games, which uh, Justin's been watching over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think, you know, I don't know if that's a big factor in this tournament. But, you know, I think, you know, a lot of these Russian guys, even if they've had THL teams, have been... Uh, loaned over to Europe, as I mean, Justin has talked about over the last couple of months, you know, it's been a really big sign. And a lot of these European teams have been playing over the last couple of months. So do you guys think it's going to be a big deal that, you know, maybe some of these American guys haven't really been able to play as much as well as the Canadian uh, team? Interesting thought you bring to that. Um, and there's two ways to look at that. One is, yes, it's very helpful. The second one is, um, and this is kind of a fight that I actually don't really support, is that, no, that was useless. So, um, you know, there's, I mean, if anything, it just adds to experience. So I don't see why, it, you know, why it wouldn't. And with the tournament like this, especially when you're looking at where it's being played this year, it's not being played on international ice. It's being played at Rogers Place, home of the Oilers. So it's on NHL regulation ice. And I mean, it's just going to add performance wise. I mean, the, the international ice experience itself is usually something that you can say, okay, cool. It helps me prepare better for this and used to the wider margins and such. But um, again, when it comes to performance, that's, that's what this, you know, tournament is going to be all about getting the best product possible out there and on the ice. So at least, you know, we feel somewhat normalcy into this new year as we have the world juniors. Sure. It's not the way we want it to, but um, you know, that's what I think is really being pegged as the most important. So I think that those who, many players who were loaned from the CHL to Europe, I think that for them, this is um, a way to, you know, showcase internationally what it is they've picked up Um through their, I don't know what, two, three months away. And I think that's a big thing. Yeah, the thing I would like to add on to that is that the thing with the, the World Juniors in general is that a lot of people find it entertaining because it's under 20, uh, people who are under 20 playing uh, like high pressure hockey. And it's going to lead to very sloppy 
hockey, which is entertaining uh, right away. I mean, you saw what happened in the bubble. To me, NHL bubble hockey was probably the best uh, uh, hockey I've seen in a long time because of how sloppy it was. It was just very entertaining. You've seen a lot of crazy outcomes. And with the World Juniors, you already had that. But then you add on the factor that we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in, uh, we're going into a bubble. And there's a lot of people who haven't played in such a long time you're going to get even more sloppy hockey on top of that. So it's going to be incredibly entertaining to watch if everything plays out according to plan. Um, but I think it, it will also like a, help the product itself on the ice and make it seem more entertaining to more casual fans as well. So I think the, the double IHF is kind of like killing two birds with one stone, essentially uh, with years, with this year's tournament. Yeah. And I think, you know, the final question about this tournament is whether it will finish. You know, I think a lot of people have raised, obviously, with good reason, concerns about, you know, the first set testing has come back. And obviously, as we've already mentioned, you know, Team Sweden and Team Germany have had problems with testing. And so that, that so the IAHF has had to change the uh, pre-tournament schedule to, you know, accommodate the other teams so they can still play some of those games. And Germany and Sweden have been taken out of those games. Uh, do you guys think that this tournament will end up um, playing playing through, like have, being all the way done? Or do you think that, you know, there's a real good possibility that there could be an outbreak and, you know, the tournament's cut short? All right. So here's the way I see it. Um, this exhibition, I don't know, week, we're supposed to call it, um, it's giving those teams extra time to quarantine for the players and coaches who need it. So um, I think once everyone is deemed healthy, Sure. But again, we have to remember with COVID-19 that, you know, first off, after you have COVID-19, you're not the same person you were before. It's just a matter of fact at this point. The science shows um, the damage it does to your lungs, the damage it does to your brain. So, um, you know, there's that. And then there's also the fact that, you know, we there's still a lot about COVID-19 we don't know. Could you still transmit it if you've had it? These are all questions uh, that are worth asking. And we have to remember in Red Deer at selection camp, it got into Kendra's camp and no one knows how. So it's not immune and nobody is immune from this. So there's a very good chance that it gets in within the first week. And at that point, you know, given the struggles uh, with the first round of testing and then their selection camps alone, that um, the IHF just calls it. And, you know, even Rene Fassel, the chairman of the IHF and his general both got it themselves uh, home in Switzerland. We're not scheduled to fly out to Edmonton for this, luckily, um, but it goes to show the troubles. And so I think that that might just be the topping on the cake because I do think it's going to get in. I don't want, I don't want to say that, but I do think that's a reality this year. And I, that's why I've, you know, this past week been saying to others who I've sat on their shows and spoken with that the reality is that this is just why do it why do it why put young players at risk when we can come back again next year and pull this off properly in front of people in Red Deer and Edmonton rather than an empty bubble in Edmonton and pretend that we like what this is doing and you know seeing that mediocre hockey especially um if these players are not strong enough uh to return because we have to remember the unfit to play model uh kendo was using that selection camp uh didn't give us any further reasoning until we found out uh those who had covid um you know i'd heard about two of the four prior and it just you know there's just so many concerns and so many conflictions that i just Part of me wants us to just end. I mean, I love hockey. Don't get me wrong. I love this tournament more than anything. So um, 
I think it's going to, but I'm just thinking of implications here that there's a very good chance that uh, the opposite happens. I agree with you, Justin, in saying, why do it? Right off the bat, they're putting so many people at risk of running this tournament. But I can also understand their perspective in saying, we want to service the fans and want to give the players the opportunity that this is their final year of eligibility and want them to actually play. You know, a lot of people, you know, there's what's on Team Canada, for example, everybody that didn't make the team last year that got cut and was eligible for this year has made the team, right? So those players might would, would never have had that opportunity again, right? So you want to, I guess, I, I can understand why people are saying they shouldn't have done it. I can also understand the AAHF saying we should do it. Um, whether if it's going to finish or not, I think they're in too deep at this point. I think it's gotten too far. The teams have traveled to Edmonton already. If they were going to cancel it, they were going to cancel it when Team Sweden had that big hit during the selection camp. It, it, to me, everybody has, all the teams have flown to Edmonton. They're about to enter the bubble if they haven't already. I'm not entirely sure about that, but right away, I would say they're in too deep. And if the tournament begins on Christmas day, which is five days away from now when we're recording this, I think we will see a gold medal awarded. I think that double IHF would say if a lot of people, um, like if some people get it, it, they would just have to be removed from the tournament itself. So I, I would do believe that the tournament will finish if it does start barring some tragic, tragic event. But I, I would have to say, yeah, they shouldn't have done it, but I can understand why they did as well. There's also this that I'm going to mention just while we're at it is the struggles that some teams faced to, to even get here to begin with. And that was Team Russia, Team Finland, Team Austria at Vienna Airport. They didn't want to get on the plane because they were going to, they were being told the baggage would be on the plane. And then they realized how small the plane was. And so uh, they called the IIHF and they gave them an option, get on it or get off of it. And then after a discussion between the coaches and some players from all three teams, uh, very early morning there, uh, they came to a conclusion they weren't going to do it. Then the IIHF said, you know what, we're, we're still trying to make this happen. We haven't given up hope just yet because it, the teams were trying to respect the rules of social distancing. Hence, the let's get the baggage off the plane and make enough room to be able to pull that off. And, the, and then there were some media members on that plane as well. Um, and so with that, they were able to get a luggage plane uh, separately uh, for, again, their luggage and have the players coaches and media on the other plane and so you know they haven't come to anything that they haven't had a solution for um so i agree with you look they're in too far all teams are now here and they've gone through the four or five day quarantine uh that they were supposed to so if they were going to cancel this at all they would have done it already uh probably at that point of trying to get those three teams here together and safely so um I just, I hope they get to the gold medal game. Again, there are lots of implications. COVID could very easily slip its way and we've seen it in Red Deer and we might see it again, but um, ideally I'd love to see it. It won't be the same as we know it, but it if we can get to the gold medal game, fantastic. I, I think, you know, you guys bring up a lot of good points about the uh, tournament and, you know, it's, I, I think a lot of people, like when the idea first came up about the bubble being in Edmonton, kind of looked at the success the NHL had uh, earlier this year and saw, you know, how there was very limited cases. Yeah, the, well, there was no cases, basically, after the first kind of uh, entries into the bubble. 
So, you know, the NHL had a lot of success. So I think that kind of lulled people into the sense that, you know, there weren't going to be any hiccups into the system for the tournament. But I know, you know, obviously now we know that's not the case with uh, all the cases with Team Germany. And obviously, you know, even before uh, they got to uh, North America, Team Sweden. But like you guys both said, I think it's kind of hard for them to uh, stop right now. I mean, obviously, it's always an option to, you know, push, push pause or to cancel the tournament. But I think the like, way you look at it right now, especially with the, uh, with the NHL announcing that they're, uh, they're going to be starting games on uh, January 13th, tentatively, obviously, that's the way 2020 is. Uh, everything's always tentative. But, you know, with that knowledge, I think the IHF wants to get this done before then. So, you know, I don't know if there's a lot of wiggle room for rescheduling. So I think, like you guys said, you know, it's going to be kind of just push forward. You know, everyone's already there. If you get COVID, you know, you're done for the tournament, basically. And, you know, for those those people, it's going to suck, obviously. You know, you, you're going to be out of the tournament because of uh, something that doesn't even have to do with hockey. And, and obviously that hurts. But at the same time, I know a lot of people are looking forward to this tournament. And, you know, it's the one thing that this happened has happened this year that's actually happening at the regular time. You know, for the most part, everything is uh, same as usual, minus, you know, the fans and the crowd in the stadium. So, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting. And I I see them finishing and awarding gold medal as well. But uh, yes, you, before you... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that you pointed out the success of the NHL, right? Before the, the, the return to play actually began, the NHL was dealing with a lot of COVID cases. And we see with the World Juniors, before the tournament began, they were dealing with a lot of COVID cases. And But once it, the return to play started, we saw no cases. So I hope and I pray with the World Juniors, we'll see a similar result. We'll see a successful bubble in Edmonton once again, and we'll, we will see that gold medal award, which I think will happen, but I also hope and want it to happen as well. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. But uh, I think with uh, that being said, uh, unless you guys have anything else that you want to quickly bring up before uh, we kind of wrap up this podcast, I'm just going to let you guys uh, kind of plug your work in that and let you uh, tell everyone where they can find you. Um. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Ilyas HSN, HSN all caps. And you can find me on Instagram, Ilyas.HSN underscore. Uh, I will probably be writing a couple things for OTL sports careers about like the world juniors and stuff. Uh, and then I also will be beginning my journey at the hockey writers writing for the Colorado avalanche uh, just began with them. So yeah, you can probably find my works, uh, on them in the next couple of weeks. I got uh, my own podcast coming out this week. Uh, I'm going to hop on a lot, of, a lot of other things as well. I'll just talk about the world juniors. Uh, it's a little busy time for me over this break. You know, I'm trying to take away of the school break that I'm getting here, but uh, yeah, you can find me there and uh, yeah, it's pretty much it. And you can find me on Twitter at Justin Levine HBS and my work at thepuckauthority.com. I did a lot of work on Canada selection camp, um, not credentialed, unfortunately, for the actual tournament itself. So um, hoping that in some way or some form, I'm still going to be able to put up content on the World Juniors as it goes along. Um, so make sure you're following along at Puck31 on Twitter and Instagram, uh, at the Puck30 on Facebook. Um, yeah, I think that's really just about it. Last thing I'll point out with regards to the actual tournament itself, the leadership groups are really strong. You look at Canada, Dylan Cousins, Bone Byram, Kirby Doc, Doc Captain. Sweden, Philip Broberg, Captain, just named today. 
Um, he's a prospect of the Edmonton Oilers. You look at the U.S. and you look at, you know, I don't even know who's going to be captain there. They haven't named it yet, but strong roster. I'm not worried about this tournament and the strength of it. I'm worried about the tournament itself and the safety aspects. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. But um, I hope it gets done. I hope it's uh, as safely taken care of as possible. They said it would, the bubble would be tighter than Canada's was in Red Deer. Um, so, you know, let's hope it's true. I know the hotel's literally right next to Rogers Place, so there's not a lot of wiggle room for this virus to get in. But, um, you know, we've seen challenges happen. So it's anyone's game. We'll see. Yeah, I also just wanted to mention that uh, Puck Authority has uh, started a new podcast and they had uh, Craig Button on the most recent podcast. So uh, definitely go check that out. Uh, can they find that on all platforms, Justin? You can find that on eight different platforms, including Spotify and Apple Music. You can find that as well on our audio scroll at thepuckauthority.com slash podcast. Um, he provided a lot of insight. His prediction was Russia and Canada for gold. And I mean, look, Russia's put up a battle in years past. So um, I can kind of side with him there that that's uh certainly a possibility i think it's more of a semi-finals possibility but um nonetheless he provided a, a lot of great insight as someone who was there at selection camp but then uh went home uh actually to calgary before making a trip to edmonton um so just a lot of uh really solid insight as the head scout and analyst of tsn um ahead of this tournament and i think it's going to be um you know one hell of a battle uh should it get played out to plan and then yeah just uh, quickly for me, you can find me on Twitter. It's at cmartin3876. Uh, I basically post everything that goes on at Overline, everyone's articles, podcasts that go up, all that kind of stuff you can find on my Twitter. And as well, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I post on my stories about uh, all the articles that go up and obviously the podcasts, this podcast is, a, sorry, this podcast as well, uh, which my Instagram is at cmartin2292. Um, but yeah, like, look for a lot of content to come out the next couple of weeks uh, on the site. You know, it's kind of a crazy week for uh, sports. Uh, I know that uh, for Puck 30, I imagine it's going to be crazy with uh, the uh, ECHL, you know, having started back up and then obviously the world juniors, but obviously for us, you know, we cover all sports. So NBA starting back up on the 22nd. So we're going to be having a NBA preview coming out very soon. And also we're going to be having the, writers picks for who's going to win the world juniors coming out on christmas eve so uh, make sure to stay tuned for that really excited for those articles to come out um i don't really have anything in personally to plug um but like i said yeah just make sure to check that stuff out uh, just a quick note that for the podcast we're going to be taking a one week break over the holidays so i just want to take the time right now to wish everyone uh happy holidays whatever you celebrate whether it's hanukkah or christmas or whether you don't celebrate a ho- um, one of those holidays, just have a good couple of weeks. Uh, we'll look forward to coming back to you uh, in January in the new year with the uh, 26th episode, or sorry, 25th episode of the podcast. So we're halfway to 50. Uh, really exciting. But, and that being said, that's going to do it for us this week. I just want to thank again, Justin and Ilias for uh, joining me and remind all of you to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and make sure that you check us out on social media at overline or sorry at otlsports.ca on Twitter and Instagram. And also go check out our latest articles, like I've already mentioned, on uh, www.overlinesports.ca. And that'll do it for us this week, guys. And we'll see you next time. Uh-huh.